How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lopes. Join me every Monday as we dive into what it looks like to be men who fall in love with Jesus and help our families do the same. You can learn more about our books, resources, conferences, and even online community by going to dadtired.com. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. Good to be here with you. Uh, I know a lot of you guys are just stumbling upon the podcast for the first time, likely in an effort to find more resources for you as a dad. I know there are very few of those resources out there, so I'm glad that you're here, man. I'm glad that you found us. We're just a bunch of guys who are trying to figure out what it looks like for us to lead our family well, and uh, we're all kind of stumbling through that together. So if that's you, you found the right place, we'd love to meet you and have you part of our little community. You can do that by going to dadtire.com. There's two important links on that dadtire.com. Number one is the community tab, and that will link you over to a closed group that we have on Facebook. We got about 12,000 guys from all over the world who are taking this stuff seriously. So come hang out with us over there. And then we also have a free book. Uh, So if you go to dadtire.com forward slash free book, it's 10 practical ways that you can start leading your family to Jesus today. It's a short read and very practical way for you to get started in spiritual leadership as of like today. So that's a great way to start. Um, Today, we're going to pick up on some of the topics that we were talking about last week. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, which was titled something to the effect of you can't lead where you haven't been, uh, something around that. Uh, if you haven't listened to that already, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that one first. And then today's episode might be helpful as kind of a follow-up to that. Uh, it's actually a message that I gave a couple years ago at a church as a guest speaker, um, but I just think it ties in really well to with, with what we were talking about last week. So I think that's going to be helpful for you today, uh, again, as a follow-up to, to what we were talking about last week. Before we dive into that, though, I do want to thank my friends over at Blinkist for sponsoring today's episode. I love Blinkist. It's one of the most used apps on my phone. You can hear my baby going in the background, <laughs> which is a good tie for me And talking about Blinkist. We have very little time for us to actually sit down in quiet and to read a book. I know very few of us can find the time to do that without all the screaming and chaos. And so to like to finish a book as a young dad who's trying to be a husband and a dad and work and all this stuff, it's just, it feels impossible. I used to read a lot before I had kids and now I hardly ever read. And that's why I love Blinkist. What they do is they condense thousands of nonfiction books into 15 minutes or less that you can either read or listen to. I like to listen to a few books before I go to bed at night. They even now have um, full audio books. That's a brand new feature that they have um, but I like to listen to the 15-minute versions of books, again, because young dads, that's kind of the best way. But if you have the time, you can also do full-length audiobooks and uh, and even some podcasts on there as well. So really cool things uh, for you to find and to get some good information. There's over 14 million people who are listening to Blinkist right now. It makes sense because there's just uh, a lot of good books on there for in a very short amount of time. There's two books that I'd recommend to you. Number one is Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. Uh, If you're a tired dad and you're just wondering, like, why do we need sleep and how do we get better sleep? Uh, That's going to be a good one. I've listened to a couple podcast episodes with him and he does a great job of just breaking down sleep in general. And then one of my favorite books I've mentioned many times, but The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by my friend John Mark Comer. Always a great book to listen to. Uh, If you don't have the time to read the whole thing definitely check out the Blinkist version. Right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash tired 
T-I-R-E-D, to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off Blinkist premium membership up to 65% off audiobooks, yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com forward slash tired to get 25% off a premium membership and save and and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash tired. Let's dive into today's episode. community started even before humanity did. Uh, We believe, uh, as followers of Jesus, that there was God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're in community with each other. And this is like, a if if you're new to church, or even if you've been in church a long time, this is a still a hard concept to grasp. But there are three distinct persons in the Trinity, and yet they're enjoying each other and community. And then God says, Let us create humans in our image. What he's doing is saying, let's expand the circle of community. Let's invite other people into this community. And so God begins to create. He creates the heavens and the earth and the stars and the mountains and and all the beautiful things. After every one, it's poetic. He says, this is good, this is good, this is good. And then he creates his most prized possession, humanity, man and woman. He says, this is really good. He kind of pats himself on the back on that one. He says, this is really good. He says, it's not good. So first time we see in Scripture God say something's not good even before sin. He says, it's not good for man to be alone. So let's create for him a helper. And so God creates a woman out of Adam. He Again, he's continuing to expand This community expand the circle, invite more people in to enjoy him. And so he creates humans. And at the very beginning of the story, everything is like awesome. If you start to read this uh, grand story of God in the very first pages of Scripture, you're like, man, this is, this is really good. Things look really good. He, he says he places them in the Garden of Eden. Everything's beautiful. They're naked. I always like saying that word in church. They're naked. And unashamed, which is beautiful, right? Like they're, they're naked and they love it and they enjoy each other. And God says, be fruitful, like make babies, have fun, enjoy each other, enjoy the earth, enjoy the garden. Like this is really, really good. And then the Bible says that there's one who's more crafty than all the others. The serpent, Satan, comes up to Eve and he tempts Eve with this thought. He says this, Did God really say that you can't eat from any of these trees? Is that what God said? No, he didn't say it. He actually said the opposite. He said, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The very first words out of Satan's mouth is a lie. The very first time we see Satan show up in the story, he's a deceiver. He said, did God really say that you can't eat from any of these trees? And she said, no. God said we can eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or we'll die. He said, you're not going to die. If you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll you'll be like God. You'll, You'll know good and evil. Satan wasn't really tempting Eve with a piece of fruit. Keep in mind, where is she? It's in the Garden of Eden. There's no sin There's good fruit everywhere. She literally could like turn around and grab amazing fruit. 
Fruit is not the temptation that Satan presented that day. The, the temptation that Satan presented that day was this thought, hey, I wonder if God's holding out on you. I wonder if you could actually find satisfaction outside of everything God's given you. I wonder if there's something other than what God has given you here that could give your heart more joy. Now listen, Satan, is uh, his tactics are incredibly effective. If we just took the rest of today and went person by person and talked about how Satan and the brokenness of this world has affected our lives, we would spend like years on it. His tactics are incredibly effective, but they're not new. The same lie that Satan whispered into Eve's ear in the Garden of Eden, hey, I wonder if there's something other than God that could satisfy your soul, is the same temptation and lie that he puts in my head and in your head today. All of us struggle with this. Hey, I wonder if there's something other than Jesus that could give my soul more satisfaction. And so we pursue all kinds of things every day. It's actually the root of all of our sin is that all of us are chasing something other than Jesus to give our heart joy and hope and satisfaction. And so Eve, seeing that the apple or the fruit was good, takes of it and she eats it and then she passes it to her passively dumb husband who's standing there silent in the whole thing. He's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll eat some. Um, so dude eats it too. And that's where we pick up in the story. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me, classic, the woman you gave me, she made me do it. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. And then God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent. We're good at like blaming and passing on. The serpent deceived me and I ate. When I was like 10 years old, I grew up in this neighborhood. I'm from California. I grew up in this neighborhood, small little town and neighborhood. My street was real empty uh, as far as like there wasn't much traffic. And there, there was three boys that grew up across the street from me. And we both were born and raised in our homes. And so we were like brothers. Uh, I didn't have any brothers. My, I had three older sisters who were much older than me. So I felt in some ways like an only child. So they were like brothers to me. We did everything together. Uh, I was thinking about this earlier this week. I miss these days. I have young kids. But, I mean, we, we were outside all the time. I don't even know if Game Boy was around when I was around 10 years old. It, that would have been like new, cool technology. Um, but we didn't really have much to do, so we just played outside all the time. We drank out of the hose and uh, played in the gutter. Like, you know, we just were, we, we were outside all the time. I miss those days. I miss them for my kids, too. But I had a treehouse, so we were always playing in the treehouse. And one day, we're bored, so you have to be creative uh, as a kid when there's no technology, which is a beautiful thing for your parents. Like, it's good for your kids to be bored because they'll get creative. 
Um, so uh, we were bored and we had to be creative and we thought, hey, let's make a swing uh, on, on this tree on the side of the treehouse. And so we found some chains and we like, you know, we got into our, uh, my friend's dad's, I didn't grow up with a dad, but his dad's tools. And we like kind of did this makeshift chain wood swing. And so uh, we, we got a ladder and we, we tight, keep in mind, we're like 10, you know, so we weren't like following safety codes. We, we, we climbed up on this ladder and we kind of rigged the, these chains up on the tree and we, we had the, the, the seat there made out of some wood we found. And of course, I, did, I was the oldest of the boys. I'm like, I'm not going first. Uh, but we thought, let's make the littlest one go first, the youngest one. So, you know, he's like, I don't want to do it. We're like, you're doing it. We force him to do it. He, he climbs up the ladder and he gets on there. He's got like this panic look on his face. We've got giant smiles on our face. We're stoked. We're like, this is the best idea. He, we moved the ladder, and I remember we had to find a broomstick to hold there so that he could literally, it was so high up, he had to like reach down. He's got one hand on the chain, one hand on the broomstick, and then we started spinning him you know, around because you want to make the chain real knotted, get the tension up real nice so that when you let go, he like starts to spin. That was our idea. It was going to be fun. It was going to be a ride like at the carnival. You know, you just <laughs> spin up. And so we're like for a long time like just spinning the dude. Like this, and he's, you know, his face is getting worried. We're like, this is gonna be so awesome, bro. And so we let go of the broomstick, and he spins like a good 10 times around. And it, like, at that moment, we're like, man, we are smart. We've made some good decisions in life. Like, we are creative. And it, like, right as that moment, right as that thought passed through my head, I heard a snap, and the chain broke, and he comes down like this, horizontally flying to the ground, and he just smacks his back right on the ground. And I'm just, like, right in front of me, just bam. And he goes to let out a scream, but the air had been knocked out of him. I don't know if you've ever seen this. And his, like, eyes are all horrific. And he goes to let out this scream, and he can't even, like, yell because the wind's been knocked out of him, which is a freaky, like, sight to see. And so I did, you know, what any good 10-year-old friend would do. I, like, ran. <laughs> and I hid under my bed for the rest of the day. Like, I didn't even check on the dude. To this day, don't know how he is. Literally <laughs> hid under my bed for the rest of the day. <laughs> We're good at hiding. We're good at hiding. You don't have to teach kids how to hide. I have a 6-year-old son. Even by the time he was real young, if he would get in trouble, he would literally take his face and he would hide it in his arm when he would get in trouble. He, his first instinct when he was in trouble or felt any kind of shame was to hide. We're good at hiding. You don't have to teach kids how to hide. They're, they're, they, like, they figure it out. In Genesis chapter 3, it's the first time that we see humanity hiding at this thought. If God really knew me, if God knew me fully and all that I've done, he wouldn't want to be around me. It's the first time that we see humanity hiding. And here's the thing. I think that we never stopped hiding. I think from that day, we've always been hiding. We've just gotten more creative with it. I used to play hide-and-go-seek with my nephews when they were young, and one of my nephews would stand in the middle of the living room to hide, and he would just close his eyes and cover them in hopes that if he didn't see me, I wouldn't see him. He was a terrible hider. But he figured it out as he got older. 
and we figure it out. We learn how to hide well. Like maybe if I dress a certain way and show up to church and I look presentable, you might think I've got my stuff together. Maybe if I give you a big enough smile, I could convince you that I'm, I've got it together. Or I have a certain bank account or drive a car or put enough filters on Instagram or post certain things on Facebook or have my kids behave in a certain way or get enough degrees behind my name. I might convince everyone else that I'm like, I'm okay. Because the reality is, I think for all of us in some way, if you knew me fully, you wouldn't want to be around me. If God knew me fully, if I really am fully known, he wouldn't want to be around me. I always say this, the Bible should be this long. The Bible should have ended here on that day. God had every right. He could have and he should have left. He had every right to leave. He said, I've designed things the way that are perfect. Like if you live under the way that I design things, things are going to go really well. If you don't, it's going to be really bad. And then humanity decides, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. I wonder if I could find satisfaction outside of God. I'm going to turn my back on God, rebel, look for satisfaction and joy and adventure outside of the way that God's designed things. And God could have and should have. He had every right in this moment to say, I'm done. Later, I'll go start a new earth. I'll go make some other humans and we'll try this whole thing again. He could have left. He could have like gone back to heaven and said, yeah, you know, figure it out on your own. You're done. You disobeyed me. I didn't do anything wrong. I did my part. You didn't do your part. I'm out. God had every right to leave. The, the Bible should be one page long. Do you guys remember what God was doing when Adam and Eve sinned? Arguably one of the worst days, if not the worst day in the history of humanity, the day that Eve bought, bit into that apple and gave it to her, or fruit, gave it to her husband. Arguably one of the worst days in human history. What was God doing? Walking in the garden. Crazy. You think God had already known what was going on? Like the entire universe just shifted because of sin. And God was taking a walk in the garden near them. God showed up in the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of literally the entire universe from the tiny microscopic to the huge macro, everything just got messed up, and God is taking a walk in the garden near them. God is near them in their mess and in their brokenness. On their worst day, God is with them. You fast forward a couple books in the Bible, and God says, all right, I'm not going to give up on you. That's the rest of Scripture, is God not giving up on us. The reason our Bible isn't one page long, but it's lots of pages long, is because God is continuing to pursue us. You go forward to Exodus, and these people who are trying to follow God, uh, they start to they say, hey, let's melt all of our gold. Let's gather all of our gold together, melt it, and let's make a cow and worship it. Because that can be our God. God had like 
parted seas for them. He dropped bread from heaven. He's done all kinds of miraculous things to protect them. He like goes away to talk to Moses for just a little bit. They get bored and like, let's worship a cow. In the midst of their mess, like these people are broken. They're a lot like us. We don't worship cows, but we worship all kinds of other things. But in the midst of their mess, God says, hey, make a tent that I can live in so I can dwell among you. Broken, messy, jacked up people. God says, I want to be right in the middle of your midst. I want to be near you. Kind of like he was in the garden. In the midst of broken, messy people on the worst day of humanity, God said, I want to be near you. And in the midst of broken and messy people, the Israelites in the desert, God says, I want, I want to be like near you. I want to be near your presence. He's not shouting from afar. He's not up in heaven kind of tossing down things. He says, I want to be right in your midst. We fast forward a little bit further, and there's this woman named Mary. She's a virgin, and she's engaged to this guy named Joseph. You've probably heard of them. This angel shows up and says to Mary, hey, you're going to have a baby, which freaks her out a little bit. (laughs) It's like, I'm a virgin. He says, you're going to have a baby. Not only are you going to have a baby, but he's actually going to be the God of the universe. He's going to be the Messiah is going to like grow inside of you, zero pressure. And then he said, I want you to call this baby, what? Do you remember what the angel said to, to Mary? said, what? I want you to name him what? Do you remember? What was it? So it's, it's always like a, in church, like, Jesus? It's usually the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what she, the angel said? It, was, it actually wasn't Jesus. That's your question. Got you. <laughs> Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us, like he was in the garden. God with us, like he was in the desert. God with us in the midst of broken, messy culture, messy people who didn't have all their stuff together. God said, I want to be with you. Flesh and blood, you could like touch him and smell him. You could eat with him and talk with him. He was called a glutton and a drunkard because he was always eating and drinking with people. God of the universe was with broken and messy people. It's crazy. He moves into our neighborhood. Then he's got this friend named Peter. You fast forward a little bit further. He's got this friend named Peter. Peter's like one of his closest friends. He lives with them. I wish I could give you guys a whole message on Peter and Jesus' relationship. It was incredible. Peter's one of his closest friends. He's got 12 disciples, 12 close friends, but three of them are even closer. Peter's one of those guys. He literally, Peter loved Jesus so much that he was willing to die for Jesus and to kill for Jesus. You remember the story when uh, Jesus is going to get arrested and Peter pulls out a sword and cuts the dude's ear off? (laughs) He wasn't like aiming for his ear. I think, like I would imagine he was probably trying to chop the dude's head off and he probably just like got the ear. That's how I picture it in my mind. Peter was like down with Jesus. He was his friend, like close friend, literally willing to kill for him and to die for him. Later that night, like hours later from that scene, little girl comes up to Peter and says, 
This is after Jesus was arrested. Says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Don't you know Jesus? He's like, no. I don't know who Jesus is. Ask again. Three times that night, Peter was asked, aren't you friends with Jesus? No. Don't know who he is. Peter's worst moment of his life, spent three and a half years with Jesus, hours earlier, was willing to kill for him, be killed for him, be arrested, all of a sudden has this moment of confusion. Says he doesn't even know Jesus. Literally his worst moment. Does anyone know when Jesus and Peter interacted again after that night? On the lake, yes. Peter, Jesus has died, he's, he's uh, been killed on a cross, and then all of a sudden Peter's confused. He's like, man, I don't know what this whole last three and a half years of my life was. So he goes back to fishing. That's what his job was before he met Jesus. He's like, he just goes back to his normal life. He goes to fish again. He's fishing, and Jesus is on the shore of the lake cooking Peter breakfast. The Bible literally says that he gets a fire going and is cooking Peter breakfast. The last time those two interacted, Peter looked at him and said, I don't even know that guy. Jesus shows up and is cooking him breakfast. Peter's fishing on the boat. He looks across to the shore. He sees Jesus. The Bible says that he still has his clothes on. He jumps out of the boat and he swims to Jesus as fast as he can. The last time those two interacted, Jesus was saying he didn't even know him. He watched him die on the cross. Peter literally in his worst moment while he was still yet sinning, Jesus died for him. And then he shows up and he has a fire going and he makes him breakfast. Jesus later tells his disciples, I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. Yeah, I know you're broken and messy people, but I can't get close enough. Just like in the garden where I walked with you, just like in the desert where I dwelled among you, just like when Jesus showed up in flesh flesh and blood, blood, I can't get close enough to broken and messy people. I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. And then the Bible literally ends, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the There's this vision, there's this picture of a new heaven, a new city coming down to earth. And the Bible says that God will dwell among us and that he will be our God and we will be his people. Literally from Genesis to Revelation, God is near broken and messy people. He can't get close enough. So what does that mean for us at Journey Church in February 2018 on a snowy day. Like, how does all of that make sense for us? I think the first thing when we think about being better together is to realize that we can come out from hiding. All of us in here hide in really creative ways. But you can come out from hiding. Because you're not going to experience and come across a God who is going to pour out his wrath on you. Because the greatest news of all time is that God poured out his wrath, what you deserve, on Jesus. And he poured out his grace on you, what you don't deserve. 
You can come out from hiding because you're going to experience the same kind of God that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden as they're sinning on the worst day. God doesn't just jolt them down with lightning like they deserve, but he said, where are you? I think God would say the same thing to us. Where are you? Why are you hiding? You don't have to hide anymore. We fake it really well. The thing is, I think people know, we all know we're broken. <laughs> okay, you go look at my Instagram, you're like, ah, oh, maybe that guy's got it together. Dude's broken. I'm broken. And you know, we all know that about each other, right? Like we all present our best, but we're broken people. We're messed up. And the church is this beautiful place where we get to come under the banner to say, yeah, I'm really broken, and yet I'm I'm submitting my life to the greatest news of all time that instead of my brokenness receiving wrath, my brokenness was put on Jesus so that I could receive grace. And so now as Paul would say, I can like actually boast in my weakness because Jesus' grace is all the more on me. It's this, now this community, the reason we're better together, and again, it's not this fluffy like, hey, how are you doing, bro? I'm good. Cool. Have a good week. It's this deep, like, I can come to you, even not attending here on a weekly basis, but you are my brothers and sisters, and I can come to you and say, listen, I'm broken. Like, I'm struggling. I'm a dad and a husband and a man that does not have it all figured out together. Like, let me confess my sin to you, and you can remind me of the greatest news of all time that I can experience a God who is near, broken, and messy people. What other community can do that? That we're not like just having this giant pity party with each other, but we're reminding each other all the time of the greatest news of all time, that instead of getting what we deserve, we got what we didn't deserve, and that's the grace of Jesus. That's good news, friends. The second thing that it does is it allows us to to remind each other constantly and to remind the world of this good news, that God is near broken and messy people. My wife, uh, we met in 2009, and uh, we met at a Chris Tomlin concert. It's like super churchy Christian way to meet somebody. (laughs) I always tell, like, we have a lot of friends who don't follow Jesus, and then they're, we're like, we met at a concert, which sounds cool, and then like, what concert? I'm like, it's Chris Tomlin guy, and said, so, like, who's that? Anyway, I'm just, <laughs> met at this Chris Tomlin concert. Literally, in March 2009, I shook my wife's hand. I was a pastor at this church where the concert was. She walked in. She was super cute. I was trying to be real pastory and welcome her. Uh, <laughs> uh, so. I'm like, hi, my name's Jared. That was literally 2009. We shook hands. I shook hands with my wife for the first time. 2009, I said, hey, I'm Jared. She said, hi, I'm Layla. We met literally for the next four months. We fought every day. We hated each other. We were so opposite of each other. Our, like, friendship, courtship, dating, ship, whatever you call it now, like, was messy and broken and, like, really dysfunctional. And, and at the end of four months, met her in March, Four months later, at the end of like every day, us fighting all the time, I was like, I think I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> like, hey, you want to do this for the rest of our lives? Like, I, we laugh about this all. We just had friends over for dinner, and they were like, telling, they're like, how'd you guys meet? How'd you guys get married? Tell us the cute story. It was like, we hated each other. And then I asked her to marry me. 
I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that worked. We were so opposite from each other. But the truth is now we've been married eight years by God's grace. He has been faithful to us when we've been all over the place and messy. He's been so good to us. We're still newly married in many ways. We're only eight years deep. But now, like the Bible says, the two of our lives are becoming one. And when you talk to me, you actually get a glimpse of my wife. And when you talk to my wife, you get a glimpse of me. Even in this short time that I've been standing up here, you know more about my wife. Because the two of us are becoming one. And I imagine like 50 years from now when we're sitting on some stale couch in our pajamas with Crocs on. (laughs) Can't wait for that day. We're like sporting the same haircuts that we have right now. It's like I dream about that day all the time. I can't wait for that day. I imagine on that day, man, that we're just going to be so much alike. Like we're just everything is the same. Like our two of our lives will have become one. You know, you know what Jesus called us, the church, his bride. We are the bride of Christ, and we get to represent our groom. The truth is, most of the time we probably mess it up. But the more we follow Jesus, we get to represent our groom to a world that desperately needs some good news. The reason we're better together is because we can come under the banner that says, I'm not going to get what I deserve. Instead, I get what I don't deserve. And that's radical grace because we serve a God unlike any other God in the history of the world. He's near broken and messy people. There's no other God like that. If you were part of any other religion in the history of the world, you would probably have to hide because you don't measure up, and it's probably a God that's mad at you for not behaving well. We serve a God who says, I know you're broken. From Genesis to Revelation, I know you're broken. I'm not giving up on you. I'm near broken and messy people. You can come out from hiding. I'm angry, but I put my anger on Jesus so that I can pour out my love on you. There's no other God like that. And so when we love each other, as John 13, 35 says, Jesus said, the way that the world will know that we are followers of Jesus is the way we love each other. When we love each other in real ways, not fake ways, when we're like real with each other and broken and messy and we're authentic and we point each other back to the good news all the time, the world might get a glimpse of our groom. Amen? Let me read this final verse. We'll end here. Psalm 32, 7 says this. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. When I was little, I would run under my bed to hide in my shame. I think Jesus would say, I'll be your hiding place. You can hide in me. There's no shame here. Hey guys, I hope that episode was helpful for you and pointed you a little bit closer to Jesus. If you know one dad friend who could use some encouragement on his dad journey, would you just share this episode with him and the Dad Tired Ministry with him? We'd love to have more guys part of our community. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.